This is the third show in this series on the history of belly dance. In this episode and the next one, we'll cover the 1970s up to present day. This is Alicia Free, a badass belly dancer, musician, and real food enthusiast, here to help you feel a little lighter. Each show will dive into music that makes us want to dance. We'll share secrets of looking smoking hot in costume and everyday life. We'll dote on delicious whole food that makes us glow. And I'll throw in a damn sexy dance move you can try at home. In the first two episodes in this History of Belly Dance series, we talked about belly dance up through the 1960s. We chunked it up into one episode of dance up to the 1900s, and then from the 1900s up through the 1960s. We highlighted some of our belly dance heroes, including Naima Akif and unnamed Gwazi dancers. In this big, big world of dance, with a huge number of dancers and an infinite web of information we can access at all times, we can choose our influencers as well as the styles we want to study and embody. But up until the 1970s, there was not a lot of information recorded about what was really going on in contexts where belly dance thrived. Sure, there were movie stars and fabricated scenes we cannot forget, as well as culturally warped written accounts mostly from outsiders with orientalist perspectives. But so many pivotal belly dance moments will forever remain fleeting experiences, unrecorded and unremembered, fading away when those hearts stopped beating. And that's a beautiful thing. For this show and the second half of this show that will be released in a couple weeks, we have so much more information to digest. Increased migrations, tourism and cultural exchange, an increasing number of videos, sound recordings, photos, written accounts each year up to the age of widespread internet in the 2000s, which made so much of this information exponential. Don't worry, I've done the sifting for you. This is not a comprehensive history by any means. That's not the goal. Here's my wish for you. By the end of this History of Belly Dance series, something you have been confused about in belly dance will be clear for you. You'll get it. And you'll be inspired to find out more about a specific dancer or region or dance style and bring that into your dance. Sound good? Let's start with a reflection and ritual that just might light up your life. Danceable Ritual In this show, we are reflecting on the recent past, becoming even more aware of what has shaped us and who we are as dancers. Sometimes at night, we can see our own reflection in the uncovered windows in our homes. They become like blurry mirrors. We catch ghost-like glimpses of ourselves. We may even see a younger version of ourselves. Do you know what I'm talking about? You can try this simple danceable ritual now, and also try it next time that you're in a private space and you see your reflection in a window. Pause and take a deep breath. Exhale. Take another breath in, letting this breath relax and rejuvenate you. As you exhale, raise your arms above your head with grace. Face up a little, inhale a third time, rolling your shoulders back, opening your chest. And as you exhale, assume a beautiful pose. Craft it with the help of your reflection. Relax your face, coaxing the corners of your mouth into a subtle smile. Linger here for a moment, enjoying the openness and the stillness, enjoying the beauty of teachers and dancers you admire reflected by you and in you. If you have a danceable ritual you want to share, please visit aliciafree.com, that's A-L-I-C-I-A, free, F-R-E-E, and click on the Facebook icon and post your ritual. We want to see who you are and what makes you want to dance. And if you tried one of these danceable rituals, tell us how it went. Go to aliciafree.com, click on that Facebook icon, and post. 
Now it's time for some music. Danceable song. Due to my confusion with fuzzy copyright laws, I am unfortunately not going to include clips of the featured songs here on the podcast unless I get permission from the artists. The featured songs will always be available on Spotify on my Belly Dance Body and Soul playlist. Let's get into the 1970s mindset with Eddie the Sheik Kocek. This choice is straight up American. And that is admittedly the lens we will be looking through in this show. I will try my best to acknowledge the diversity of perspectives of social and performing belly dancers and belly dance enthusiasts around the world. But I was born in America. I live in America. I have a very American perspective. Let's feature the song The Sensual Shifty or The Sensual Shiftatelli by Eddie the Sheik Kocek. Eddie was one of the main musicians behind those 1970s Strictly Belly Dance records. They were released for decades after, as far as I could tell. Hopefully you've encountered these in your local record store. Eddie passed away in 2018 at the age of 97. He was doing something right. Eddie was born in Brooklyn, and he had the accent to go with it. His parents were from Syria, and he loved to drum. Eddie traveled to the Middle East as a performer in the U.S. military during World War II, and his sergeant apparently had trouble saying his last name. So we call them Eddie the Sheik. Eddie partnered with an Iraqi violinist, Haki Obadia. Sorry if I'm saying that incorrectly. H-A-K-K-I-O-B-A-D-I-A is how I've seen it spelled. And they use the terms Amerabic or Ameraba for their music. According to BrooklynArtsCouncil.org, they played Arab classics and folk songs adapted to New York City's diverse audiences, dancers, and musicians. So it sounds like they were bringing immigrants together with their collage of music and also popularizing and Americanizing Middle Eastern music just in time for Americans to become empowered by dancing to it. Ridiculous song names like Salam to You, Oriental Cha-Cha, and Arabic Rockin' Melody show his sense of humor and probably other intentions that I'm having trouble realizing because I'm distracted by the goofiness of these song titles. Eddie probably created a bridge for Americans who would not have discovered music that was actually from the Middle East without Eddie introducing Introducing them to his Amerabic style first. The name of the song Sensual Shifty is special. Sensual is to me the essence of the dance. An invitation to be without words and just feel the music mix with your soul in the moment. Now the words sexual and sensual can accidentally be conflated. So it's worth defining the word sensual here. Pleasure, gratifying to the senses, and not necessarily sexual. And sensuality is the enjoyment, expression, or pursuit of pleasure. That's why I dance in a nutshell. Enjoyment, expression, and the pursuit of pleasure. Since the rhythm in this song is not an eight-count shift to telly, the word shifty in the title is probably just letting us know that it's a dance song. The rhythm in this song is rumba. Doom, tech, doom. Doom, tech, doom. Doom, tech. Doom doom tech doom doom tech doom doom tech doom tech doom doom tech doom So a double doom is created between the measures or when you put the measures side by side. It's interesting. Macam World states that Ika Rumba, the rhythm Rumba, is an Arabic adaptation of the Latin American dance rhythm by the same name. It became fashionable starting from the 1930s and was used to add a little foreign flavor to Arabic arrangements. We mentioned this before, how Tahiya Carioca began fusing Latin rhythms with belly dance in the 30s. This is just a reminder that what we call belly dance and belly dance music never has been and never will be static. Some might disagree, but from what I've seen, there are no real rules. 
For example, in a video from 2012, Eddie the Sheik plays Doombeck holding it between his knees rather than on his lap, like most of us do in the West. There's no one way to play a rhythm or use a word or do a move. People use the word shiftatelli in many ways, and no one person owns or defines the word above all others. There's just infinite variation in all of this. Some teachers seem to get in the I am right and that is wrong mode, but we create meaning together, and it's not static, it's always changing. There are, of course, relatively new patented movement vocabularies that one person wrote down and shared after watching many people do many different things, and that one person chose what they wanted to do more and named it and defined it and solidified it and teaches it. And that's cool. American tribal style is an example of that. And it's much more ballet-like and Western philosophy-like, where there's one right way to execute a move and dancers strive to do it just like that. Most belly dance over the last 100 years has been constant variation in improvisation. So I got this more ballet-like idea from the book Midnight at the Crossroads, Has Belly Dance Lost Its Soul by Aliyah Thabit. Thabit, I'm not sure how to say Aliyah's last name yet. T-H-A-B-I-T. And I'm having so much fun reading this book. Aaliyah has a great way of explaining how Westerners often strive for visual perfection in their dance, and Easterners focus more on what she calls richness of emotion. Aisha Ali recommended that I read Aaliyah's book when I told Aisha that I was working on this three-part history series. Thank you so much for the suggestion, Aisha. Can't wait to interview her for you all. Back to the song Sensual Shift to Telly. The use of the finger symbols in this song is lovely. And I very, very rarely say that. I do wish it was more in the background so that I could hear the melody more, but maybe we're supposed to feel like there's a dancer with finger symbols playing right in front of us when we listen to the recording. In my experience, it's enough that we are sometimes standing in front of this six-piece or 12-piece band with shiny stuff all over our boobs and potentially preventing the audience from appreciating the live music right in front of them. Then a dancer adds finger symbols and the dancer can make it hard to see and hear the musicians. And that just ruins it for me. I know a lot of people are real big proponents of finger symbols, but as a musician too, I'm really not. And in this recording, the finger symbols are prominent, but never too loud. There are dynamics in the volume of the finger symbols, and there are pauses and patterns that vary in a relaxed way. So they're nice. So listening to the way the finger symbols are played in this song can teach us something about musicality when we play finger symbols and dance as well. The choice of the song Sensual Shift to Telly is inspired by my friend Tessa Myers. Tessa has been my bridge to the amazing mama of tribal fusion, Jill Parker. I'll talk about Jill's contribution to our belly dance heritage later in this show, and Tessa will be featured at an upcoming show as well. We will be talking about controversial trends fusing belly dance with burlesque. Woohoo! Subscribe to this podcast and that show will come right up in your feed along with many others. Follow my playlist, listen for free, and dancing will become even easier with hundreds of diverse belly danceable songs all curated for you and all on one list right at your fingertips. Just click on that Spotify icon on the top of aliciafree.com and it will take you right there. Let's do some dancing. Damn sexy dance move. Let's talk a little bit about a recent documentary filmed in Cairo called At Night They Dance. It's actually in Arabic, so that's what it is in English. The damn sexy dance move featured in this show is performed by the dancers in the film twice in the first four minutes of this documentary. So I'm going to feature that move. And I'll link to the film in the show notes. This is an accent move we'll call the disappearing dancer. When there's a great accent or pause in the music, half of the dancer disappears 
for just a moment. They keep their back and upper body straight, standing up, and bend their knees quickly so their head drops down to where their belly was. Their butt is not sticking out. They are totally straight from the waist up, and they zoom right back up to neutral standing position, smiling. It's just a drop into a squat and then popping back up. When I do this, I raise my heels to squat and keep my back vertical. And I squat at an angle to the audience so that my knees stay closed and together and I'm not revealing anything I don't want to between my knees. If you have issues with your back or your knees, there's absolutely no need to try this move. Respect your body. And if you do like this move, this is not a good move to drill, in my opinion. Practicing it a few times when you dance is great, but I think it's really a surprise move that loses luster when repeated, and it could irritate your back and knees if you do it too many times in a row. I probably watch two movies a year. You know, when I'm on an airplane, I get to watch a movie. I'm not a big movie watcher, but when I saw the link to this documentary, At Night They Dance, I had to watch the whole thing. Maheen of BellyDanceQuickies.com sent out a link to this movie in her amazing listserv, which I highly recommend signing up for, by the way. She's always thinking of ways to reach us and teach us. Episode 16 of this podcast is an interview with Maheen, which is awesome. Go back and listen if you haven't already. So I watched this documentary, At Night They Dance, when Maheen sent it out. It's on YouTube, and it shows the daily lives of a lower-class family of professional belly dancers in Cairo. And it's disturbing. These dancers are outcasts, possibly illiterate, depressed, laying in bed until a sister or thug pulls them out to put their makeup on and make $20 dancing on a stage at a wedding. They wear short skirts. They often look bored on stage with blaring speakers and obnoxious men surrounding them. Their agent is their mother— a sometimes screaming, foul-mouthed, lying woman. I needed to see that movie in order to begin understanding these stigmas I've been told about for so many years. So this is just one depiction of one family of women dancers. This is the commercial version of the dance, right? Rather than the ethnic context where it's more social. And it really contrasts the way that most encounter belly dance outside of the Middle East. Let's talk about women's rights and some feminism that sparked interest in belly dance outside of the Middle East in the 1970s and has given non-Eastern dancers a very different experience. Women's rights movements in the U.S. in the 1960s and after were felt around the world. Gender segregation declined in many places, and women had less space to themselves and more eyes on them because they were going out in the public more, and they also had more freedom to move. In the 1970s, many women had expanding options for work. Not just sex work, dancing in public and housework, as was tradition. Women could make money in other spheres. So some women in the belly dance profession pursued other options. And other women not born into belly dance chose to perform belly dance. Even as feminism, women's equality, and opportunities for women have grown, the stigma of women who dance in public remains crystallized in many places. Here are some of the negative stereotypes of professional belly dancers in the Middle East. Number one, Satan-like temptresses luring men away from God and their families and their responsibilities. So number one, Satan-like temptresses. Number two, shameful women. Performing for the sexual pleasure of men. Yes, people can assume that they are performing for the sexual pleasure of men. Number three, greedy women. Dancers dance for money. And when you're in a social situation dancing with your family, it's for fun. It's not for money. But when women start earning money and making a business out of it, tis, tis, tis. Belly dancers are often seen as greedy women for getting paid for belly dancing. Number four, poor women. This is where classism kicks in. 
performers are often from lower classes and do have less options. They are hired by people from the middle class and upper class to make their celebrations more fun. And, you know, some of these women are seen as prostitutes. They might be prostitutes. It's up to them. Throughout history, there have definitely been dancers who were prostitutes and widows and women who had to leave the privacy of their own homes in order to survive and they were making money dancing in order to live. And some were ethnically Roma. That documentary, At Night They Dance, shows all of this too clearly. All of these stigmas. You can almost smell them in the movie. When I first saw Belly Dance in the year 2000, it was in a beautiful dance studio filled with natural light in an Ivy League school with wealthy students from all over the world. My teacher was angelic, graceful, and wise. The belly dance troupe that I joined after taking classes was composed of the most well-behaved women I had ever spent time with. They didn't party or stay out late. They really just wanted to dance. In a way, that beginner belly dance class was the Middle Eastern family experience that I never had. We were not little girls imitating our aunts, but we were still young and in a safe space learning the movements from an elder. And most of us had not grown up listening to Middle Eastern music through the kitchen radio or at family parties or in taxi rides. That lack of musical exposure is probably the biggest setback for most of us dancers who start dancing outside of the Middle East. Most of us in that class had never even seen a belly dancer perform live. It's the dancing in public part that turns women who love belly dancing into something often perceived as Satan-like, shameful, greedy, or just poor without other options. The stigma of women dancers is real. The whole male dancing component, I'm very uneducated in that and what stigma is involved in that. I'm sure there's some stigma as well. There is an interview with the fabulous dancer Tariq Sultan coming up. Tariq has taken multiple trips to Egypt and has a lot of insight about stigma and also male participation in the social dance aspect of belly dance in Egypt. We'll get some insight from that. Now let's talk about some superpowers of paid belly dancers that feminist movements have made possible for us to celebrate. Number one. Bold, willing to take risks in the public sphere, to be the one everyone is watching, unwilling to hide their sensuality, even when the people in the audience take zero responsibility for their own minds and look for a dancer to blame, even when family members want to disown them or prevent them from dancing. They are bold. Number two, they're businesswomen. These are nightclub owners, teachers, performers who earn a living dancing and often share that money with their families. Not that what they do with their money matters, it's their business. But if they're supporting their families, that seems to align with the values of those who are judging these dancers. They could be applauded for dealing with the shit they deal with. Number three, generous. Willing to stay up late and sweat and bring up the energy and translate music for an audience and keep the experience fresh for the musicians and exciting for everyone at the party. Number four, regal, covered in jewels and beautiful fabrics, elevated and sought after. If no one was hiring these dancers, they wouldn't be performing. They'd be doing something else. So someone's calling them. Now, Egypt has been seen as a modern and relatively liberal art and entertainment center of the Middle East for decades and decades. And it seems like Lebanon and Turkey were also more liberal and therefore have had more public dance performance opportunities. But it was the U.S. that created the workshop era and classes for people who wanted to experience belly dance without the stigma and the negative associations so alive in the ancestral homes of belly dance. It looks like Jamila Salampour was a huge part of creating this workshop era in the U.S. US, where classes were structured and knowledge could be disseminated in a more formal setting instead of just watching the bouncing butt and watching another dancer. Of course, there are a handful of dancers in the Middle East who were treated more like stars than devils. Nagwa Fuad was one. 
Yet another name I'm most likely mispronouncing. Let me spell it for you. N-A-G-W-A and the last name F-O-U-A-D. There's a great article in Habibi by Shireen Al-Safi written back in 2001 on Nagwa Fuad. She's one of the most famous dancers turned actress from the 1970s to the 1990s. She sounded like a woman who danced at 110%. She put on a spectacle and brought ecstasy to the audience with her smile. Nagwa had 50-piece orchestras, new and original songs, sometimes every couple months, costume designers, and apparently she put the money she made from the show back into the show. She relied on her income from acting in films and invested her money for her live performances back into her live performances. And she smiled like she was having a really good time, full on energy. So many amazing dancers emerged in the 1970s. Egyptian dancers Mona Saeed and Fifi Abdo are two of my very favorites to emulate. They just look so natural and powerful when they dance. Every time I watched one of their videos, I learned something from watching how they felt the music. In the Ballet Dance History Part 2 episode, I mentioned the Rated Dance Troupe, the folk dance troupe in Egypt that started in the 1960s, and they were incredible and produced incredible dancers. It was a co-ed troupe, and they also brought folk dance up to another level of theater and performance. If you watch some of the videos of the Rated Dance Troupe, they're just so impressive. Big group choreographies, really well done. It looks like the troupe was actually funded by the Egyptian government, and Mahmoud Reda, the choreographer, was no longer funded in the 90s, and therefore the troupe went away. Now let's take a moment to dote on delicious whole food that makes us dancers glow. Featured light in my body food. Sprouts. We carry the seeds of dance home from many places and water them until they grow into something we can enjoy and share with others. Sprouts are just like that. Sprouts add color and shape and sass to our lives. A lot of stores now carry an array of sprouts, and they are easy to grow at home, back in the kitchen, where generations of people who love to dance have cooked while singing and dancing. You really just need the right seeds to sprout. Other equipment can be improvised, and you don't even need soil. Homegrown sprouts are the freshest produce you can get your hands on if you live in a place with a non-growing winter season. Eating really fresh vegetables has a lot of health benefits. If you'd like to try sprouting at home, check out the short and sweet article on my site that is titled How to Grow Your Own Sprouts at Home. I've had the best luck with organic alfalfa seeds that are sold for sprouting. On my site, there's more tips and how-to, so check it out. There are also some recipes on my site that involve sprouts, like soft corn tacos with red rice, avocado, sprouts, and kimchi, and vegan egg salad topped with some alfalfa sprouts. Let's play dress up. Make you shine, costume tip. If you are dancing to recorded music from a particular era, try to match it with a costume a dancer in that era might have worn to dance with that music. Yes, most of the audience may not have a clue that you've done this, but it may help you feel the music more deeply and dance more like you have that very band in the recording right there with you, like dress up time travel. If you have a costume tip to share, please send it my way via Facebook or an email through my site. As Will Durant said, we are what we repeatedly do. So let us repeatedly do what the divinely lovely do. Feel good. Look good, Habet. Watch videos of performers you want to emulate and make notes about what they're doing. Where are their eyes looking? How do they hold their hands? What do they do when there's a toxin? How do they enter the stage or begin their dance? How do they interact with the audience and the band? What are their default moves? Try to describe what they may be feeling. 
If we make a habit of watching dance videos actively beyond being entertained, we will be more able to follow the lead of these dancers that we admire. By absorbing some of their dance wisdom, we will feel more confident when we dance and look better too. This, of course, applies to watching live performances and in our dance classes, but in videos, we can repeat the video and really take notes. Rather than overwhelm you with the summary of belly dance history and styles, I decided to create a four-part series instead of a three-part series. And the fourth part will be released soon. And we will summarize, give you a great overview of all the styles of belly dance that I could identify, as well as the history of belly dance as a whole. It's actually going to be a visual that you can get on my site, aliciafree.com, when the next episode is released. It's going to be an infographic of all of this history and these different styles with terms that will help you remember something about the styles that you're completely unfamiliar with and really help you incorporate this information into your life and your dance. So subscribe if you haven't already. The next episode is going to wrap it all up with a big bow on top and you're going to love it. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Please subscribe and let your friends know what you got out of this show. Dance with me on YouTube, listen to the music I've selected for you on Spotify, and try some free vegan recipes on AliciaFree.com. This is Alicia Free, hoping this show helped you feel a little lighter.